The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. I'm going to start in 1 John chapter 3, right after we receive the giving, the offering this morning. Thank you. Thank you. If you need an envelope or a pen or anything. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, obviously, you need a pen or envelope, let Mr. Orla know there. And we do have online giving for our friends online or anyone uh, who just prefers that. We also have that as well. Um, so that those things are always available. But nonetheless, thank you guys for your giving and supporting and uh, partnering with us to share this good news. Hallelujah. John and Linda, I've been waiting on you guys so I could... You know what I did after the wedding? Because I'm a man. I came home, and I had that bag you guys, the gift bag you guys got for me, and I, I, you know, I set it down down in our living room, and and then, whenever you know, later a little bit later, Kara runs through, and says, basically says, "Oh my gosh, did you look in this thing?" But well, no, I not yet. You know, I will. I'll get to it. Boy, she whipped that knife out. That is incredible. That was insanely. I don't even know how to describe it, other than it has the. It's it's got a wood handle, and then I mean it looks sharp. Let me tell you. And then it says uh, it had the date on it, but it says on the I think on the other side it says Jordan, but when you open the blade up, on the blade is it's I don't know how to explain it. It's it's congruent with the metal it's not like written on there with the marker I don't know how to describe it but it says pastor once you open it up and it says pastor Jordan on it and that thing is nice man so yeah I I carry that bad boy around a lot of the time so watch yourself cut myself before I could get to somebody else but still (laughs) that's a bad boy and not to mention the other stuff so thank you guys Hallelujah. Um, when I was a kid last year, we used to play uh, these. Of course, I'm from the South. I don't know what they do up here, you know, but we used to play these games uh, like chicken with knives. And, and you can't move. You, you, wherever you stand, you plant there. Yeah, okay. And you don't try to hit each other. But you try to get as close as possible without actually. So whoever moves, you lost. You know, you were the chicken. So I won't be doing that with my new knife, but uh, that kind of stupid stuff. Or you throw it up in the air and whoever moves for, you know, whoever stays there the longest wins, you just toss it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes, it is. I don't think there's any, no argument there. <laughs> None at all. Yeah, my poor brother was, was a, uh, he's just a magnet. He was always a magnet for stuff. We, uh, one of our, our, our neighbor, their, one of their boys did uh, karate, I think it was, and so he had a few little gadgets over a sword and some, anyways, he had a dartboard and we had metal, real, what's called throwing stars, I think. I don't know what they're actually, that's what we call them. 
you know what I'm talking about? And we'd play uh, darts kind of with it, you know, that type of thing. My brother, God help him, we're just rolling away. I mean, it's not like anybody said Paul's tape. He just walks right in front of that thing, man, stabs him right between, just right between the eyes there. One day, he was up in a tree. This is another day. He was up in a tree. Got his, we were boys. He had his fishing line out there, just pretend fishing. I don't know what he was doing out in the yard. Had it stuck up in the tree. Climbs up in the tree to start trying to untangle it. Well, he also had his bow and arrow. It's a compound bow out there. And, and hand on the Bible, so help me God, swear in the name of everything sacred and holy. I consciously remembered at that time and to this day, having enough sense to say, he's right up there in that tree. I am going to turn my back to him and shoot this way. I don't know what happened. I'm not joking. But anyways, I shot that thing, and man, that arrow went flying. Got him right there on the eye socket. Oh, it was, eyelash was dangling, you know, like, and my dad said he heard somebody screaming, and he thought my brother was pounding on me or something, you know, and uh, no, it was just me, yeah, a little payback there, you know, but, whew. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> uh, that's a little plausible deniability there, I think. That's, you're good. You're clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. There will be no chicken plate in here. Oh. Anybody used to do rocket, uh, bottle rocket fights or that kind of stuff? We used to do that. Uh, Roman candles, bottle rockets. Uh, used to, you could get those little, M, little M80s and those type of deals. And Anyways. Thank God I've lived this long. Huh? You begun? Oh, yeah, all of that. Nonetheless, we're going to try to do something constructive here now. Instead of trying to figure out how I survived this long. 1 John chapter 3 here. All right. <clears throat> and we will begin in verse 7. Once my iPad catches up, I am getting and we are... Next week or two, going to, uh, well, I'm not sure exactly when. We are going to try to get a new iPad because this thing is so finicky, and I think it's uh, heading into retirement here soon. Nonetheless, oh, by the way, Jamie, Bishop Jamie, next Sunday, be with us. So, uh, yes, he is, yep. So, look, looking forward to that, very much so. Yeah. He'll be here. Looking forward to it. All right, 1 John 3, 7, to begin. He says, little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices uh, righteousness is righteous. How do you practice righteousness? Well, let me ask you this. How, did you, how do you get right? How do you become righteous? Anybody? Going once, going twice. Believing the gospel. Genesis 15, 6, the first verse in the Bible that mentions righteousness, says Abraham believed God, not worked for it, believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, which is basically right standing with God, right? Now, so how do you continually practice righteousness? By continually believing right, believing the gospel, believing truth, and uh Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says, As you received Christ, so continue in Him. So how do you receive Christ? By grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So that's how you continue, by believing truth, ever 
all of us ever renewing our minds to the truth. Um, just as he is righteous. Verse 8 says, The one who practices sin habitually is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Now look at this, though. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Well, that's pretty good news. For this purpose, the Son of God, 1 John 3, 8, for, uh, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So, it's important as we unpack you know, these teachings, what I've called victory, our inheritance. Uh, one of our kind of foundational verse was out of 2 Corinthians where Paul says, Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Another translation, thanks be unto God who always leads us to victory in Christ. Right? So that's kind of our foundational mentality here. Um, but it's important to, to some of these things you just think through kind of logically and they make sense. So, you know, if a person has a will and testament, right, your last will and testament, and there's an inheritance involved, well, if, if someone is laying up an inheritance for you, for, for myself, you know, when do you receive that inheritance? When you die or when they die? Right, when they die. And the problem is, as believers, very often, we sort of allow ourselves to be the, the devil's punching bag throughout a lifetime, waiting and hoping for the day that we finally die and receive our inheritance. But the gospel says you have received an inheritance, not, not for when you die, but because someone else died on your behalf. And that's, there's many scriptures that deal with this. Whenever scripture says Jesus is the, the firstborn, well, that obviously goes back to the Jewish Hebraic understanding of the firstborn who receives the blessing. But Scripture says we are heirs of God, heir inheritance. We are heirs of God and joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ. So we all share equally in, in the inheritance of the firstborn. I mean, this is a good deal, man. So Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. And that, hello, many sister and brethren, that's us. And we are partakers of his inheritance, right? Um, many verses, of course, you know, Ephesians 1.3 says we've been blessed. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So we've received this inheritance, this blessing that's bestowed upon the firstborn, right? We're, we're partakers of Jesus' inheritance as Abba's firstborn. Um, it's important to understand in these things that... Whenever we say Jesus died for our sins, right? And that's accurate and correct, obviously. Uh, what all that entails. If Jesus defeated sin, well, part and parcel to that, he defeated the author of sin, right? Satan himself. Now, I did, that doesn't mean Satan ceased to exist. It just means Jesus stripped him of his authority and defeated him. Uh, like, the KO of all KOs, an absolute knockdown, right? Uh, knockout, rather. So, and as these verses say here, um, 
verse 5, if this thing will work, I'll just read it. 1 John 3, 5, which we looked at a few a couple weeks ago, says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sin. And then it says, as the verse we just read, uh, sorry, verse 8. Then he says it another way. He appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Well, sin sums up. Sin is a word that describes all the works of the devil. So sickness and disease, uh, depression, uh, panic attacks, uh, mental, emotional uh, despair and torment, um, deafness, blind. I mean, anything that's not what Jesus called the abundant life. Abundant life. Your needs being met. God doesn't want his, his kids uh, starving to death. You know, just like no good parent would ever want that. We have a good father. And so Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. So one good thing about that is it's not our job now to go out and kick the devil's butt. Jesus already gave him the business. Can you dig it? Of course, he's, I think the way we can describe Satan is, in this sense, he knows he's defeated, but do we know? And I think, because Satan operates on ignorance. And that's why Paul said also in 2 Corinthians, he said, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. And that word devices is the Greek word thoughts. In other words, thought patterns, ways of thinking. And that's exactly what he did with Adam and Eve. He introduced a new, a new way of thinking that was contrary to God's way of thinking. And amazingly, Satan tempted them with that, that delicious fruit that is hanging over far too much Christianity today. If you do this, then you'll be like God. And the gospel says, you're already like God. Your works can't make you like God. Adam and Eve were already made in the image and likeness of God. I don't know how much more you can be like God than that. And yet the devil tries to convince them. He, he interjects a new way of thinking that makes them doubt who they were in the Lord. And so then, instead of being, believing and being who they were, as we say, we're supposed to be human beings, not human doings, right? Instead of believing and being who they already were, they believed a lie that caused them to try to perform in order to become. And that's also what Satan did with the last Adam. If you're really the son of God, do such and such. You know, and so Satan thrives in the area of religious performance in terms of trying to become right with God through what we do. Or in really what we're talking about, trying to get blessings that the Lord really and truly has already given us. And this is a big distinction and it makes a lot of difference. So faith, as, we, as I pound on for my, myself and when I teach and preach, you know, faith is not moving God. Faith is moving yourself to believe God. Faith is not getting God, old greedy, stingy God, to finally turn loose of that blessing, that healing, that miracle, that provision. It's us moving ourselves to receive what he's already freely offering. Right? And uh, these are big, important distinctions. Now, I want to look at a, f a few things here. I'm going to start in 
moving on here, in this, we're in 1 John. I want to look at the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Gospel of John, chapter I'm going to make it. Yeah, you know what? I, I, go get by one of those cold windows. You might lay your head up against it, you know? Hey, we won't judge you. I'm pretty warm myself. I did dress myself today. John, chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse. I think this is one of those scriptures, you know, if we can, it, it's black and white. It's, it's clear that I don't think there's any gray area here. And if, if we can take hold of a verse like this, it, it powerfully undergirds kind of everything we're looking at in this teaching. All right, now check this out. Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So think about that. I think we could sum this up in this way. Devil, bad. God, good. All right? I don't, I, I'm gonna, I don't mean to sound like I'm treating you like children, but, but we're just repeat after me here. Everybody, devil bad, God good. I want to tattoo that that one too, on the inside of my left eyelid. It'll say devil bad, and on on the inside of this one, it'll say God good. So it's it's always right in front of me. I always see it. It's always there. You know what I mean? Devil bad, God good. You know it would be hard for me. I wasn't raised, some of you were raised in, I mean, any, we, any number of backgrounds, even in this small of a group, and not to mention our friends online. Um, I was very, very privileged and blessed to be raised in a household where these types of things were just assumed and accepted and clear, and I never had to struggle with more or less. I mean, we all... We all have opportunities to doubt. We all have circumstances that really try to persuade us otherwise. We all understand that. But just from the assumption that I was raised in, it was never a thought. There was, there was never any thoughts about um, anything. I mean, if you, if you have, and it's not just the Calvinist background, but it definitely, you know, that would be known for it, so that's why I'm using it. In a more Reformed or Calvinist background, God sovereignly controls everything, period. No exceptions. There's a piece of dust flying around through here before the foundation of the world. God, God sovereignly decreed that that would happen you know, in, in the Calvinist belief system, which is very traceable back to uh, Greek paganism uh, when Augustine, Augustine, 400 years after the founding of the church, was the first person to introduce that doctrine, that terrible doctrine into the church. Um, unfortunately, three or four hundred years after the fact. Uh, St. Augustine was a, a pagan before he was a believer. He was in a couple of different uh, Greek philosophical, pagan, kind of heretical kind of groups. And we all bring baggage into where, our, where we currently are, don't we? And so unfortunately, he brought some of his uh, beliefs. Anyways, I, I won't bore you with some of those things. But um, it is important, though. It's very important to know that, because in that system, the devil is 
like a dog on God's leash, going around doing God's bidding. And this stuff doesn't make sense, you know. Mark 16, lay hands on the sick in faith in the name of Jesus, and they'll recover. James chapter 5, any man sick, call for the elders of the church, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will heal, sozo, save, raise up the sick. Well, in the Calvinist system, that doesn't, it doesn't mean anything because you never know what God's going to do. There's no clear sense of God's will. It's just, today He loves me, and tomorrow He gives me cancer, and you don't understand it. And it's, You know what I'm saying? Like, it just, it makes no, anything that happens, you can brush it off on, oh, that's God's sovereignty. It's kind of like in Islam. Allah can do whatever He wants. He can tell the truth. He can lie. He can just whatever He wants to do, and it's fine, and you just deal with it. And in the Calvinist system, so God is the one who's making me sick, because he sovereignly controls everything. So I'm going to lay hands and ask the God who's making me sick to also heal me. uh, Yeah, exactly. So you're going to fight against God's will by going to the doctor and trying to get well. Well, if God made me sick, why not just embrace this and go through all this wonderful hell for all it's worth instead of, right? Well, it'd take a lot for that. (laughs) I didn't mean it, Ken. I didn't mean it. She started it. It was that woman. Like Adam said, it was that woman you gave me. No. But no, that's true though, yeah. But, you know, all these things. And then it's, um, I mean, it depends on your background. But, like, I have some family members who are uh, a certain type of Baptist. And, and it's, they kind of believe you have free will. But they kind of also believe anything that happens to you, God was somehow doing it. And so, like their kids growing up, if they're walking across the room and, you know, step on an old board and step on an L, I hate, this is, one of the parents would say, what'd you do to make God mad? So God's got nothing better to do than wound little kids because, I don't know why, but stuff like that, you know. And what I'm taking too long on here, but trying to get the point across here is, as we said a minute ago, devil bad, God good. And boy, that just clears up a whole lot of theological stuff, doesn't it? Yes, it is. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 that Satan comes to remove us from the simplicity of the gospel. And he compares it to Eve. And he mentions her in that and says that Satan wants to remove us from the simple gospel, the the very simple good news. But once again, as Jesus says here, The thief comes only, only. Satan has no other objective to steal, to rob us from our inheritance, what belongs to us, to kill in every sense of the word, and to destroy. And yet Jesus says, I have come that they may have life abundant. Hallelujah. That's good stuff. Uh, Let's look now in Colossians, uh, a very Beautiful and powerful verse here, Colossians chapter 2. You know, I heard, as you're turning to Colossians 2, I, I heard Brother Hagen uh, point out one time that the believer, scripturally, were called to one fight. And, he, and Brother Hagen said, Christians are not called to fight sin. He said, Jesus already took care of your sin. You don't have to fight it. You don't have to overcome it. You don't have to. You just believe the gospel. And you're in Christ and your sin is gone. Pretty simple. Um, then he said, a lot of Christians want to fight the devil. 
He said, nothing. You're not ever called to fight the devil. He said, Jesus already fought, defeated, overcame him on your behalf. So receive the victory. And then he said, the only fight we're called to is the good fight of faith. Now that good fight of faith can include using our authority over a defeated devil. But let's always remember, no matter how big he looks, no matter how much he huffs and puffs, no matter how loud he screams and shouts, he's defeated. And just, you know, it's like David and Goliath. David went, all of Israel's cowering. And David says, who is this uncir- you know, non-covenant person, this uncircumcised Philistine that he would dare defy the armies of the living God? And we've talked a lot about the types and shadows in that, but he, he had five stones. Five is the biblical number for grace. And he threw that stone. And, of course, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. So Jesus, our rock, by his grace, overcame a giant, an enemy that none of us could ever overcome on our own, right? And then, beautifully, David goes on. He takes Goliath's own sword. And just like in, uh, what's that movie I like? I don't even know if I like it. I just like that part. Alice in Wonderland. That woman's always, the, the, off with his head! She's always, off with their head! That's her, like, her instinct. Kind of like Dr. Evil. On, on, he, you know, he's, he lets his people, his, his evil clan, uh, henchmen around him, they say something he doesn't like, he hits that button, and there they drop down to the fire. You know, just kind of one of those deals. But anyways, David goes and takes Goliath's own sword. So, in other words, he uses his enemy's weapon against him. Jesus used Satan's own, I don't want, uh, I'll just say it that way, his own weapon against him. Because Hebrews 2 says, through death, through death, he, Jesus, defeated, destroyed him who had, past tense, the power of death. So he used, just as David used Goliath's own weapon, and then it's not in Scripture, but uh, history and tradition says, that David brought Goliath's head back to a place that later became known as the place of the skull. What's another biblical word for that? Golgotha. And that's all that's tied up in there. So that's uh, very interesting. So, um, well, let me, let, let, me, let me see what verse I want to start in because, Because all of this is so good. Colossians 2 is emphatically one of my favorite chapters. Just, oh, the whole chapter is incredible. Um, oh, boy. Trying not to start in verse 1, you know. Let's do verse, um, I, I'm tempted to. I, I'm, let's, let's start in verse 8, but we, uh, yeah. By faith, I'm going to start in verse 8, but we'll see how we do. Paul says here, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men. Then he says this, according to the elementary principles of the world instead of Christ, rather than according to Christ. I've talked about this before. This Greek word, when he says elements or elementary principles. Uh, Paul uses that, I believe, six times in five verses in the New Testament. Colossians, Galatians, Hebrews. 
without exception, it always refers to the Mosaic law. All right? And if you, if you jump down to the end of the chapter, that's what Paul says. Don't let anyone judge you concerning Sabbaths and new moons and keeping Jewish feast days. He says, oh, the people today say, oh, we need to be on the Jewish calendar. Why? Paul plainly says that those things were shadows, but now they have no place because Christ is the substance. We don't need a Hebrew calendar to discern the times. I don't think we really, I just don't think we really, we're in a new covenant. What is the new covenant day? The new covenant is, uh, there's a lot to say about it, but let me say it this way. The new covenant calendar is this. This is the day and tomorrow. This is the day the Lord has made. And the next day, this is the day and I will rejoice and be glad in it. All right? Um, it's a day of victory in Jesus. So we don't, we don't follow a Hebrew calendar. God is not working in America uh, during certain times because it's the season of, you know, Yom Kippur, anything like that. Uh, the Scripture, not only does Scripture not teach that, Scripture blatantly, overtly, clearly, and repeatedly teaches against that stuff. All right? Uh, undeniably. Now, verse 9. He says, for in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of deity in bodily form. Well, that's a mouthful. Now look at verse 10. If my tablet would work. I'll just read it until it catches up. It says, and in him, Colossians 2.10. In him, are you ready for this? You have been made complete in him you have been made complete that word greek in the greek that word complete in the greek means complete lacking nothing basically it just means what it says the problem is a lot of times when we were in christ but when mentally we're approaching things as if we're not in christ so if I believe the made-up doctrine that I have a generational curse, well, you can't be in Christ and have it because Christ is your identity. Unless Jesus has a generational curse, you don't have a generational curse because He's our identity. In Him, you have been made complete. The only way I can believe God is angry and imputing sin against me would be if Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet and I'm not in Christ. And all, You understand what I'm saying? And so... Sin, we're not in Adam anymore. If any man, any woman, be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Ooh! Mm. That's a good deal, man. That is good stuff. So, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And in the Greek, a new species. And that word new means, it doesn't mean renewed as if God came along and patched, patched you up and, and gave you some stitches and put a new fresh coat of paint on you, but you're still the old you. In the Greek, it, it literally means, the word new there means something that's never existed before. And that's actually indicative that we're not even just, you know, and I know the, the world is in a state of perfection. I understand. I'm talking about 
what the Bible says. In him, you've been made complete, right? So it's not just we've been restored back to a state with God like Adam had before the fall. It's actually new and better. It's better than that, all right? Adam could commit one sin and blow the whole thing because he didn't have a sacrifice laid up to his account. We have what Hebrews calls the final sacrifice that Hebrews also says, uh, nobody's opinion except the author of Hebrews, took away all sin for all people for all time. So this is a new covenant, a new creation, all right? So this is a good deal. Let's keep reading here as I try to wrap up here. Verse 11, And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the uh, circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13, so beautiful. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, Gentiles who, didn't, who weren't the Jewish people who had a covenant with God, but uh, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He, thank God He did this, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all, somebody say all, our transgressions. I actually made a video. I've not, you know, I had my last deal when I, you know, had to go to the emergency room and all that stuff. Of, I don't know, two months ago, maybe, Linda, something like that. Six to eight weeks, probably. Thereabout. Whatever it was. Um, you know, it kind of, so I've not been making videos. It takes me a while to get back into the groove. But um, there was a, a wonderful, and I'm not just saying that, uh, minister television minister uh, this week who had a on their show and they had a guest on their show and the title of this week's message was why millions of Christians will this may not be word for word but it's close enough uh, why millions of Christians will go to hell last time I checked born again people go to heaven I thought that's how it worked I didn't under this whole we're not we're not on probation yeah I'm sorry we're not on probation as if we're, God's testing us to see if we're good enough. God already knew nobody's good enough. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that's why he came and took care of it. Jesus doesn't, oh, they're out there in the middle of the ocean and they can't swim away from the sharks and the waves and the hundreds of miles away. Let me throw them a life raft and see if they can swim their way back in. Salvation isn't the life raft and then you hopefully work your way to heaven. No, Jesus comes down swoops you, scoops you, picks you up, and takes you to safety. Amen? So it's not probation. It's salvation. Anyways, it was, and that's what, it does make me sad, and I mean that as a charismatic when, when it simply doesn't matter what the Bible says. So some person is on a well-known show with a wonderful, well-known minister, and they had a vision, and people go to hell for whatever, Christians, blood-bought, born-again, spirit-filled, sons and daughters of God, busting hell wide open, apparently. I, it's too bad the blood of Jesus can't take care of that, you know? So sad. Uh, anyways, I made my first video uh, kind of a going off of that, and show, you know, and this was one of the things I, I mentioned was this verse here. One of the things the, the host of the show said was, 
uh, more or less. He's talking to the guest and he says, yeah, what about this new doctrine that all your sins are forgiven? And the guy went on to say, there's not a single verse in the Bible that says all your sins are forgiven. The Bible plainly teaches only your past sins are gone. And I'm thinking, oh my God. There is not a single, listen, there is not a single verse in the Bible that ever says all of your past sins are forgiven but through the blood of Jesus. But now you get to merit your own forgiveness day in and day out through your constant never-ending apologies, promises to do better. You, yeah. No, you, you're your own savior in that teaching, in that mentality. You're, you're your own savior. And so look at, so this verse here, as I pointed out when I made a video about it, uh, off of that show or whatever, uh, and they really are wonderful people. I don't deny their, their, their sincerity, their godliness, their anointing, or anything like that. The problem is we see people that are so anointed, and we assume because God does such miraculous things through them that somehow that must just mean their doctrine is also perfectly correct. But God doesn't do miracles through people because they have perfect doctrine. Peter was a Zionist bigot who hated Gentiles like most of the first the very first group of Christians did and thought they were dogs and salvation didn't belong to them anyways. And yet, God did lots of miracles through him. Judas, how bad was this guy? Stealing from Jesus' money account himself. And yet, while he was alive and among them, he was preaching, he was healing the sick, casting out devils, working miracles. And if that's not bad enough, God's been known to do something through me every now and then. Good night. I mean... Look at what he's got to work with here, you know? But thank God, it's not because of us. It's because of him in us. As Andrew Womack says, and man, get hold of this. Man, woman, God has never had a perfect vessel working for him yet, besides Jesus, and you won't be the first. So may I, I say, thus saith the Jord for all of us, get over yourself. You don't have to get your act together before God will help somebody through you. The gifts of the Spirit come for two reasons. 1 Corinthians 12, healings, miracles, prophecy, these gifts come, tongues and interpretation, for two reasons. To point, and point to and glorify Jesus and to help people. And that's what they're for. They're not to make a man or woman of God grand, so amazing and awesome. And No, God can even speak through a donkey. And some people said he's spoken through a few since then, but I don't know. Yeah, he that hath ears to hear, you know. Um, well, I don't know. Oh, here we go. Let's try this. Figure out where I'm at here. First closing. Now, notice this. He raised us up together with him, what? Having forgiven. And I know that's small. We are still going to try to get this moved back so it'll be bigger. Sorry, but it, the words. But it says, having Forgiven us, what's that word? If you can see it, yeah, sorry. All our transgressions. Now the problem is, here's, here's one of the big problems. We take one verse typically, 1 John 1.9, and we make, when we read the Bible, we don't read that verse for what it says. We read into it. 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess your sin, and in the Greek, it can be singular, your sin. And that was the sin of, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. 
and, and I don't have time to get into all that, but um, every verse in the New Testament that clearly teaches perfect forgiveness, we mentally read our interpretation of 1 John 1, 9 into those verses. So this verse plainly says, with no qualifications, having forgiven us all our transgressions. In our mind, we say, yes, mental footnote, every time I confess my most recent sins, ask him to forgive me and promise to do better. And I am perfectly fine with that. I, I do regularly go to the Lord and say, Lord, I missed it the other day, a day or two ago. I, I'm driving down the road. I think, something or other. But anyways, and I just do it kind of regularly anyways because you have a real relationship with your Heavenly Father. And I have a wife, and I miss it, and I go to her sometimes and say, babe, I miss it, I'm sorry, forgive me, you know, whatever. But that, but that doesn't mean, oh, you're out of fellowship, and now you're divorced. There's no covenant there. Well, that's absurd, right? There's a loving relationship there, presumably, hopefully. Now, having forgiven us all our transgressions. See, I hope this, I can make this make sense, but Jesus had to take away all sin in order for us, in order to offer the new birth. That was the thing standing. Like Brother Hagin said, used to the thing that stood between God and man was sin. But he said, now the only thing, Brother Hagin, the only thing that stands between God and man is Jesus Christ because Jesus took away the sin of the world. And now all that's left is a loving Savior who's welcoming you home. Not standing between you and God as if, but standing there inviting you back to Abba's house, right? And so, all means all. But again, I, you know, I regularly go to the Lord and say, Lord, man, I, I know what I did there and sorry about that. It was dumb of me. Lord, I just, would you forgive me of that? I mean, that's fine. Don't get all tore up about it either way. Some people go so far and they say that it's an affront and offense to even say you're sorry to the Lord or ask Him to forgive you or anything like that. And then, of course, most of us, unfortunately, were too far the other way, where you think you're going to go to hell if you have one unconfessed error in thought, word, or deed, you know, and stuff like that. And they even said that on that show. Orly, you said you saw it. The guy said, every night, you know, before I go to bed, I make sure I... Well, you should make sure that the blood of Jesus is, is your safety your forgiveness, not your memory. It's, it's sad that we think, and again, I harp on this all the time, but I think it's so important. We, we make up these doctrines that when you come to Jesus and initially get saved, something the Bible says nothing about, as in you get saved, but then you got to stay saved. never says that. But you come to Jesus, and Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe in you. Would you be my Savior and forgive me and save me? And, and that's, that's the Bible way. That's great. And we believe he wipes out all those past sins. But after that, in order to stay saved, a phrase that's not in the Bible, you have to keep getting more forgiveness on a sin-by-sin, apology-by-apology basis. But Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness. So unless Jesus sheds his blood again, every time you say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I promise to do better. You understand? But again, you're, you can go to the Lord and receive that forgiveness that's already yours, that's already flowing. 1 John 1.7 says, And the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ, cleanseth us from all sin. And in the Greek, 
That, is, that means an ever-present, ever-constant, ever-happening reality. It's like those cartoons where you got Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd, and it starts to rain, and good old Bugs there, he's got his carrots, and he's dry as whatever, and Elmer, no matter where he goes, the rain follows him. He's under that waterfall, you know, that constant flow. And so we're under that constant flowing waterfall of the Jesus forgiveness through the power of his blood. Amen? Surely the God of heaven and earth would not become a man, be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, die for our sins, raise from the dead, ascend to the right hand of the Father, make us sons and daughters, pour out Holy Spirit upon us and within us, all just so we can hopefully get to heaven as long as we remember each and every time we sin and say we're sorry and promise to do better. Come on. That is no good news. That is, that is not worthy of the name gospel. And again, I'm all for because it's a real relationship. And I regularly do it. But I just hate this idea that Christians are living in torment over a misunderstanding. I'm talking billions, possibly, because there's over a billion Christians. Uh, at least hundreds of millions of Christians live day in and day out in torment of what if I die with an unconfessed sin? It's sad. It's not right. God's people deserve we deserve better, you know, and thankfully we have better. We have the blood of Jesus. Forgiven us all transgressions. Last closing, two minutes, we're finished. Having canceled out the certificate of debts, talking about the law of Moses, consisting of decrees, laws against us, which were hostile to us. So the law was not our friend, the law of Moses. It was hostile to us. And that was its purpose, not to make us holy, but to show us that we weren't holy. So we'd call out for mercy. He nailed it to the cross. Now look at this, verse 15. When he had, uh, King James says spoiled, like spoils of war, you know, something like that. Uh, but it means in the Greek, when he disarmed rulers and authorities, King James says principalities and powers. When he disarmed principalities and powers and made a public show, public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So long story short, through the cross, in many different verses, say it in many different ways, like Hebrews 2 says, through death he de defeated, destroyed him who had the power of death. Um, this verse says it this way, that Jesus, through the cross, disarmed principalities and powers, demonic forces, and made a public spectacle of them. I don't know exactly what all that means, but I think in one sense, while Jesus is on the cross and Satan thinks he's winning, we know that Jesus' scripture doesn't tell us everything, but we know scripture tells us in multiple places that Jesus went to Hades, the abode of the dead, and according to this, disarmed Satan and all demons and made a public spectacle of them. To me, I just think of that as Jesus, as soon, he's, he's, he's died on our behalf physically. He's left his body. He's in the Hades realm, the Hadean, Hadean realm. And at some point, and we know when, resurrection life comes back into him. And the ultimate promise that God made to Abraham 
to call those things that be not as though they were, and that God would give life to the dead. The type and shadow was Isaac. The, the substance was Jesus, right? In some sense, I just like to think Jesus went over to, to Satan. Satan's probably on his, his throne having a party. I, you know, I'm taking a little poetic liberty here, but you get what I'm saying. Goes over there. Because Revelation, Jesus said, I have, now I have the keys to death and Hades. So he takes those keys off of Satan's throne or off the wall or wherever he's got them. He grabs O.L. Diablo, puts him in a good old headlock, and just kicks his butt up and down Main Street, baby, and just strips him of any authority that rat ever had. And Jesus resurrects and says, Now, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth. So Satan lost his authority in the earth. Jesus said, is given unto me. Then he says, go you therefore. He passed, he transferred his authority onto his people. He's the head, we're the body. We're operating in connection with the head. So we have authority now over Satan, over all of his works, all of his kill, steal, destroy works. God has given us authority, not in ourselves. That's why in Scripture, they never casted out demons in the name of Peter. In the name of Paul, I cast you out. In the name of Ray, be healed. Lord, I pray for this in Cindy's precious name. No, it's, that's why we pray in Jesus' name. Because he is our right. He is our authority, our access to the things the kingdom of heaven has given us. Amen? Hope that stuff, that was, I don't know. Maybe a little, I was going to say a lot of ground. Maybe it wasn't too much there. But hopefully that comes across today and good deal. Makes sense in that kind of deal? Good deal. So we have an enemy. So we don't pretend he's dead and that he doesn't exist. But we also don't act as if he's Mike Tyson and we're the dummy off the streets who are going to come in there and get knocked around. No, Jesus has already defeated him. And we have Jesus' victory over him. Amen? And that's a good deal, man. Any closing thoughts? Questions? The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website, at glorycenter.org.